Psalm 89 is the third longest psalm. And uh, I don't think we're going to be able to cover it tonight, but we'll try to uh, draw some things from it that I hope will be helpful. We covered the first verse there in the psalm. Psalm 89. Psalm 89 is made up of three parts, three fairly distinct parts. The first 18 verses have been labeled by some commentators as a hymn, a hymn of praise, a hymn of praise to God. In this first section, Ethan, the Ezraite, lifts his voice and, and prays to God. Uh, it is a, a psalm that, that speaks about God's mercy and God's faithfulness, some of the characteristics and attributes of God. It is spoken in the voice of Ethan, with the exception of verses 3 and 4, in which we hear the Lord himself speaking. But for the most part, it is Ethan as he exhorts people to praise the Lord. The second section of the psalm, verse 19 to 37, is different in that it is it is uh, described by some as an oracle. In it, we find a um, discussion of how God is going to lift up David and his kingdom, how he is going to establish him on the throne, how he is going to strengthen him and maintain him in his place, and how he is going to be with him in his times to beyond his death. His kingdom will be everlasting. And we have in this second section, verses 19 to 29, the Lord speaking. It's the Lord, with the exception of the opening phrase, it's the Lord who is speaking in this section. It's almost parallel to what we read when the Davidic covenant was given to David by the prophet Nathan. We read in, in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 4 to 17, about all that the Lord promised to do for David and how he would establish his throne and maintain him in his place and that it would be an everlasting kingdom that he was going to establish. And we, we find much of that repeated here in this second section of the psalm, verses 19 to, to 37. And then in the final third of the psalm, Verse 38 to 51, I'm going to say, we have what would be described as a lament. Here we turn again to the psalmist speaking, and it is quite different than the previous sections of the psalm. In it, the psalmist brings forward 12 questions of God, 12 complaints, if you would, against God. I'm going to call them that. Now I'll begin with this with these words, you have, you have cast off and abhorred, you have been furious with your anointed, you have renounced the covenant, you have profaned the crown, and so on. Twelve successive statements of, of complaint. And then in the second half of the second section, he goes on with, with a series of seven questions interspersed with an appeal to the Lord to remember, to remember. 
It's a sad lament, sorrowful lament. And, and we read this psalm and we might wonder how this last section of the psalm could have been written by the same person who began with such a wonderful hymn of praise and spoke about the faithfulness of God in the second section of how he was going to establish David on his throne. Let's look at the beginning of this psalm, the beginning opening of this psalm. It says, a contemplation of Ethan the Ezraite. Ethan's name was mentioned last week. Glenn took us to Psalm 88, a very sorrowful lament, and it was a contemplation of Heman the Ezraite. Heman and Ethan both are mentioned in 1 Kings 4 as being involved in the musical ministry of David. At least that's how we would understand that. I would understand that. Ethan was listed there as being a very wise man. Solomon was a very wise man. Wiser, it says, even wiser than Ethan the Ezraite. So Ethan was a very wise man. He was involved in the musical ministry under King David. And he wrote this psalm, or at least wrote, we're going to say that he wrote at least parts of it. The last section of the psalm that I just referred to, verses 38 to 52, describe experiences that we have a hard time understanding how Ethan would have experienced. So he may have written this in a prophetic context, but some commentators feel that what we have in Psalm 52, or Psalm 89 is actually a, a medley, a compilation of two or three psalms. And that would make sense. There's certainly three very distinct divisions in the psalm. And perhaps this last section was something that was added uh, during the period of, of exile, or during some period when the nation's situation was very dire, because that's the description that we find there. So we have this psalm in three sections and uh, very distinctive parts of the psalm. There is a common theme that runs through it, a number of themes actually. Let's look again at verse one. I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever with my mouth. I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. These two words I'd like you to focus on, mercy, and faithfulness come up repeatedly through the psalm. Mercy, in fact, comes up repeatedly through the book of Psalms. There's 127 verses in the book of Psalms in which facade, mercy, or loving kindness, or love you might have in your translation, this comes up repeatedly. It's a common theme through the psalm, speaking of God's love, but it's most especially a theme in this psalm. It's mentioned seven times. There's no other no other psalm in the book of Psalms that mentions it more than this psalm does. And the same is true of this word faithfulness. Seven times we read of God's faithfulness in this psalm, more than in any other psalm. And so these two words come up repeatedly, and there are some other themes that we find as well. But as I, I read through this psalm, watch for the words mercy and faithfulness, because we can learn much about God's mercy and God's faithfulness in this psalm as we read it together. Verse 2 goes on, For I have said, Mercy shall be built up forever. Your faithfulness 
you shall establish in the very heavens. Now in verses 3 and 4, we have a key to the psalm. Here the Lord is speaking. He says this, I have made my covenant. I have made a covenant with my chosen. I have sworn to my servant David, your seed I will establish forever and build up your throne to all generations. Selah. This is really the overriding theme of the three sections of the psalm, that the Lord has established David, and he is going to set him on the throne, and he is going to support him in that throne, and it is going to be an everlasting throne, an everlasting kingdom to be established to all generations. So we'll see this coming out. The psalm begins with this wonderful hymn of praise as a backdrop. God is going to do this, and we learn about who God is the one who is going to establish this. And then in the second section, we see it carried out. God establishes David on his throne. And then third section is a lament where the people look and see what happened to this promise of your faithfulness? What happened to this promise of your mercy? Because the psalmist is failing to see it at that moment as he writes this psalm. So this is a key verses three and four to understanding the psalm, it's about David and him being established. And the psalm might be classed by some as messianic, but not perhaps strictly so. But there are many things that we see in the establishment of David on his throne that clearly look forward and foreshadow the Lord and his ministry. We'll see that especially in the second section of the psalm. And even in the third section of the psalm, we see some of the work of the Lord on the cross at Calvary as we look at the lament that we read in this third section. I'm going to continue and finish this first section in beginning in verse 5, a hymn of praise of God, praise of God. And the heavens will praise your wonders, O Lord, your faithfulness also in the assembly of the saints. For who in the heavens can be compared to the Lord? Who among the sons of the mighty can be likened to the Lord? God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints and to be held in reverence by all those around him. O Lord God of hosts, who is mighty like you, O Lord? Your faithfulness also surrounds you. You rule the raging of the sea. When its waves rise, you still them. You have broken Rahab in pieces as one who is slain. This reference to Rahab is understood by most commentators to be a reference to Egypt, the nation of Egypt. It's a word that often refers to Egypt. Other commentators see it as a reference more to the seas symbolizing the world. But most would say this refers to Egypt specifically. Verse 10, second half, you have scattered your enemies with your mighty arm. The heavens are yours, the earth also is yours, the world and all its fullness, you have founded them. The north and the south, you have created them. Tabor and Hermon rejoice in your name. You have a mighty arm, strong as your hand, and high as your right hand. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Mercy and truth go before your face. Blessed are the people who know the joyful sound. They walk, O Lord, in the light of your countenance. In your name they rejoice all day long, and in your righteousness they are exalted. For you are the glory of their strength, 
and in your favor our horn is exalted. And now in verse 18, as we close this first section, we bring it back to David again when he says this, and for our shield belongs to the Lord and our king to the Holy One of Israel. Both this reference to shield and to the king are likely references to David. David was the shield that God had established for his people. He was the king who had God had set up over his nation. And so there are references to David. And now we come to the second section, and it begins with a short introductory phrase in verse 19. It says, then you spoke in a vision to your Holy One and said, quote, the Holy One referenced here could be, could be referring to Samuel, the prophet. It might likely be referring to Nathan, the prophet, who is the prophet through whom God gave this covenant to David, the covenant that is pretty much outlined in the psalm we're going to read here in these next few verses might also be a reference to David himself, not entirely sure. But here we have God speaking and he says this, I have given help to one who is mighty. I have exalted one chosen from the people. I have found my servant David and my holy oil I have anointed him with whom my hand shall be established. Also my arm shall strengthen him. The enemy shall not outwit him nor the son of wickedness afflict him. I will beat down his foes before his face and plague those who hate him. But my faithfulness and my mercy shall be with him. And in my name, his horn shall be exalted. Also, I will set his hand over the sea and his right hand over the rivers. He shall cry to me, you are my father, my God and the rock of my salvation. Also, I will make him my firstborn the highest of the kings of the earth. My mercy I will keep for him forever, and my covenant shall stand firm with him. The seed also I will make to endure forever, and his throne as the days of heaven. You can see in many of these references foreshadowings of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, and some of these things that are said about David. Continuing on, verse 30. If his sons forsake my law and do not walk in my judgments, if they break my statutes and do not keep my commandments, then I will punish their transgressions with the rod and their iniquity with stripes. Nevertheless, my loving kindness I will not utterly take from him, nor allow my faithfulness to fail. My covenant I will not break nor alter the word that has gone out of my lips. Once I have sworn in my holiness, I will not lie to David. His seed shall endure forever, and his throne as the sun before me, that she be established forever like the moon, and like the faithful witness in the sky. See luck. It's the end of the second section. Now we come to this third section of lament. Psalmist, whoever wrote this, looks around and sees that the nation is in turmoil. And he is questioning this mercy and this faithfulness that has been promised to David. It begins in verse 39 with a reference to David as the anointed. At the end of verse 38, you have been furious with your anointed. This is the word 
literally the word Messiah. And the section closes again in verse 51 with another reference to your anointed, again, the word Messiah. So this last section of the psalm begins and ends with this reference to David as a Messiah. Interesting. When you think about David as the forerunner, the forefather of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, he would take the throne of David. But here, the psalmist questions God, and he lists these complaints. There's 12 of them in rapid succession. But you have cast off and abhorred. You have been furious with your anointed. You have renounced the covenant of your servant. You have profaned his crown by casting it to the ground. You have broken down all his hedges. You have brought his strongholds to ruin. And all who pass by the way plunder him. He has a reproach to his neighbors. You have exalted the right hand of his adversaries. You have made all his enemies rejoice. You have turned back the edge of the sword and have not sustained him in the battle. You have made his glory cease and have cast his throne down to the ground. The days of his youth you have shortened. You have covered him with shame. After this list of 12 complaints against the Lord, he asks questions. How long, Lord, will you hide your face forever? Will your wrath burn like fire? Remember how short my time is, or what futility have you created all the children of men? What man can live a Nazi death? Can he deliver his life from the grave, the power of the grave? Selah. Lord, where are your former loving kindnesses? And this is a key verse. Lord, where are your former loving kindnesses, which you swore in to David in your truth? The word there is actually the same word that's translated faithfulness also in the psalm. Lord, where are the former loving kindnesses or mercies which you swore to David in your faithfulness? Remember, Lord, the reproach of your servants, how I bear in my bosom the reproach of all of the many peoples with which your enemies have reproached, O Lord, with which they have reproached the footsteps of your anointed. And the last verse, 52, wonderful conclusion. Psalmist, despite all of this complaint and all of this burden of his heart, concludes in this way, Blessed be the Lord forevermore. Amen and amen. This verse is not only a conclusion to the psalm, but it's a conclusion to the, the third book of the psalms, which ends here with Psalm 89, before it begins in Psalm 90. Now, as I say, it's the third longest psalms, 52 verses. We can not expect to cover the 52 verses. There are a lot of it in the 10 minutes. We've got remaining, but I, I thought I would like to maybe just draw some truths out of this psalm about God's faithfulness. Truths about God. Look, at, look again at verse 5. The heavens will praise your wonders, O Lord, your faithfulness also in the assembly of the saints. For who in the heavens can be compared to the Lord? Or who in the heavens can be compared to the Lord, the psalmist asked. 
Who among the sons of the mighty can be likened to the Lord? Verse 6. Verse 8, O Lord, God of hosts, who is mighty like you, O Lord? There's a number of places in the Psalms and elsewhere in the Word of God that I have often been fascinated by where the author calls us to think about who is like the Lord. It's a rhetorical question, of course. There is no one like the Lord. There is no one like the Lord. The Lord is unique. And that's what this psalmist is bringing out. The qualities and characteristics of the Lord is unique. And there's a number of them that he brings out, and I mentioned already his faithfulness and his mercy, or his loving kindness, his love for us. These are characteristics of the Lord that the psalmist brings out, and there is no one like the Lord in these ways. His strength is another theme of this psalm. We read the word mighty or strong or strength. Many times over in this psalm, speaking of the Lord and his strength, there is no one else omnipotent like the Lord. He's unique. His righteousness, his justice, and some other attributes of his character are brought out in this psalm. Let's think about his faithfulness very quickly. God's faithfulness. Let's look at seven references in the psalm to God's faithfulness. Verse 1, with my mouth I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. I suggest that we can see this in this psalm. The Lord's faithfulness it is, I'm going to use the word laudable, maybe a bit of an antiquated word, it's worthy of honor. The Lord's faithfulness is worthy to be honored. With my mouth, I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. That is our God's faithfulness. And we should be honoring it. We should be recognizing it. We should be lifting it up. We should be elevating it as the psalmist does. God's faithfulness is laudable then. Verse 2, it's mentioned again. Your faithfulness you shall establish in the very heavens. God's faithfulness is anchored. It's secure. It's anchored. It's immovable. His faithfulness is established and will not be shaken. It is established in the very heavens. Verse 5. Your faithfulness. The heavens will praise your wonders, O Lord, your faithfulness also in the assembly of the saints. The heavens praise the wonders of God. I'm going to say that the Lord's faithfulness is conspicuous. It's obvious. It's seen. It's visible. The heavens can see it. It's available for all to see in the world around us. We all can see God's faithfulness at work in our lives. God's faithfulness is evident. It is conspicuous. We read of his faithfulness again in verse 8. Who is mighty like you, O Lord? Your faithfulness also surrounds you. I'm going to say we might see in this that God's faith is inherent. His faithfulness surrounds him as God moves about. If, if we can use that type of an image. His faithfulness surrounds him like an aura. It is part of his nature and part of his character. 
God is faithful, and his faithfulness surrounds him. It's an inherent part of his nature and his character. We read again of his faithfulness. Let's carry on in verse 24. The Lord speaking says, but my faithfulness and my mercy shall be with him. We'll read from verse 23. Speaking of David here, the one who he is setting up on the throne, he says, I will beat down his foes before his face and plague those who hate him. But my faithfulness and my mercy shall be with him. And in my name, his horn shall be exalted. We can learn this about God's faithfulness, that it is personal. It's personal. God was faithful to David personally. God calls us as individuals. We, you know, we are not saved en masse. We're not saved as Read of You Bible Chapel or as a group of Christian and believers. God deals with us one-on-one. -on -one. Our salvation is unique and individual for us. Not unique, but individual for us. And God's faithfulness is specific for us as well. It's personal. His faithfulness to us personally. Number five. Number six, let's move down to verse 33. Nevertheless, uh, the context here, of course, we read this, is what if his sons disobey the law? What happens if these descendants of David forsake him? Well, the Lord will bring punishment, but he says this, Nevertheless, my loving kindness I will not utterly take from him, nor allow my faithfulness to fail. God's faithfulness will not fail. God's faithfulness is constant. It is constant. It does not subside. There's no break or no interruptions to the faithfulness of God. Despite what the people might be seeing, God brings punishment upon the wrongdoing. That does not mean his faithfulness is full. It does not mean it has ceased. It does not mean it's been interrupted. God's faithfulness will continue. There are things that are happening to the nation of Israel through the centuries from the time of the Roman conquering Jerusalem. Today, we, we might wonder what is happening to the nation of Israel. God is remaining faithful to his people. We might not see it in the same way that we did when David was reigning on the throne. But his faithfulness is not interrupted. We can take encouragement from that because God's faithfulness to us is not interrupted. We go through times of difficulty and turmoil in our life. We might wonder, where is God's faithfulness? Faithfulness is constant. Last reference to God's faithfulness, we find in verse 49. Lord, where are your former loving kindnesses, which you swore to David in your truth or in your faithfulness? The same word here is used. Translated here in my, my Bible is truth, but it's the word faithfulness. What can we learn from this verse about God's faithfulness? I want to suggest this, that there are times when we don't see or feel God's faithfulness. Times like when the psalmist was experiencing here. When he looked about him and saw the destruction of the nation and only David cast down the enemy's rule. 
but God remained faithful. His faithfulness was there, despite the psalmist not seeing it at the moment. And we have those same experiences in our lives. There are times when we don't see God's faithfulness. We might think it's missing, but we need to take assurance in the truth that our God is faithful. His faithfulness is anchored and immovable. It's active, it's present, it's personal, it's constant. And even in those times when we don't see it or feel it, we need to understand and know that it is there, that God is faithful. Time is gone. I'd love to go through seven references to mercy in this chapter, because there's something we can learn about God's mercy, God's loving kindness in the seven references that we have here. I'm just going to have to leave that for you to work through on your own. It's a long psalm. There's a lot in it. I would just challenge you to look up these seven verses that make reference to God's loving kindness, his mercy, and see what you can draw from them personal applications for us in our life. Look at this psalm and make note of the references to God's strength and God's might, God's power, and see how those references impact us as well in our lives today. A wonderful psalm in three sections, three very different compositions, three very different styles. First 18 verses, the next third of the psalm, the final third of the psalm, each very different and distinct, but in each of them we see tremendous lessons for us about God's working in the children of Israel and the lives of the King David and in our own lives each day.